TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to a place of wellness and healing for both your body and mind. Get ready to live a happy, healthy, whole food life that totally rocks. You're listening to Shiny Healthy You, the straight-talking natural health show for busy women, with your host and naturopath, Jules Galloway. Today's guest and I first crossed paths over 10 years ago when I was a bright-eyed student at the Southern School of Natural Therapies, and she came in to lecture us on building biology. She totally blew me away with her knowledge on healthy homes. She's an accomplished naturopath, an acupuncturist, a building biologist, and a mold remediation technician. Her name came up recently in episode number 20 of Shiny Healthy You when she was mentioned by Cindy O'Meara and I thought, there's a blast from the past, I must get her on the show. So here she is, please welcome to Shiny Healthy You, the very lovely Nicole Bilgema. Woo! Hi, how are you? I'm great, I'm great. It's so lovely to connect with you again after all these years. Time goes so fast, doesn't it? <laughs> I know, I know. It's been over 10 years since I left the Southern School now, and it's like, whoa, it just went so quickly. It certainly does. Look, I've been practicing, well, almost for 20 odd years now, so it goes. <laughs> really <fast>. <laughs> <laughs> it does. And I really, really wanted to get you on the show today because. Uh, mold and healthy homes have been hot topics in my circles recently with a lot of my, my tribe and my listeners. And I just, when you were mentioned by the lovely Cindy O'Meara, I thought you would be the perfect person to chat to about this. Thank you. Sadly, they are my passion and, um, certainly, um, you know, do mold and electromagnetic fields and chemicals. It's just all part of what I've been doing in the last uh, 15 to 20 years now. Yeah, you're right. It's kind of sad that we have to do this work, but it's good that we're doing it. Exactly, yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about what building biology is and how you became interested in this rather than just being a, you know, kind of general naturopath? Two things. started to notice a very strong connection between many of my patients' illnesses and their homes, particularly... Um, Clients with respiratory tract infections, kids with middle ear aches, chronic bronchitis, asthma, and finding that herbs and diet wasn't cutting it. Especially started to notice a lot of my patients with chronic fatigue syndrome would mention that they could see visible mould in their home. And of course, we were never trained in that and uh, started to look at the evidence. But it wasn't until I moved into our own home that my husband and I developed insomnia and I had 10 miscarriages in this house. It was something the neighbour had said. She'd said no one had successfully had children in the home and I thought that was an interesting coincidence in light of the fact that I had so many miscarriages and no one in Australia, no reproductive um, specialist IVF. We didn't even qualify for IVF because I got pregnant easily. No one in this country was able to help me. So I really started to look at the coincidence of the fact that our health declined since moving into this home and it just opened up a whole new door of the way in which I practised. And now, of course, I run the Australian College of Environmental Studies, which runs nationally accredited training in building biology, two-year full-time advanced diploma, and um, train people to become building biologists. So building biology, <laughs> I did answer your question, building biology looks at the health hazards in the built environment. So we go in and we look at things like air quality, 
chemical emissions from building materials, household products. We educate people about cleaning products and personal care products, what to look for, how to clean their home effectively without adversely affecting the microbiome within the dust. We look at electromagnetic fields from wireless technologies and from anything that draws current like where the meter panel is, uh, inverters, um, where mobile phones should be charged. Uh, We look at things like allergens, so how old pillows and mattresses are and whether they're a high uh, dust bur- uh, allergen burden, especially for people with uh, house dust mite allergies or cat or pollen allergies. We provide them and the knowledge. We basically educate people how to create a healthy home to reduce the incidences of illnesses and to be well in these buildings. So I know that up here, like, yeah. that that's overwhelming by the way there's just so much there's so much we could we could do four hours right here on all of that <laughs> wow yes. um but yeah you were talking about the the visible mold i just picked up on and i'm just wondering because like where, where i live we are in quite a high mold area because i'm in the northern rivers and it gets very humid and anything kind of from here and further north tends to get very kind of damp in summer and we are always, always very vigilant and, and kind of fighting that battle against the mould. Um, but you mentioned visible mould. Is there invisible mould as well? Like what are we looking for? Some of the worst homes I've ever gone into, I couldn't see or smell mould. But when we got the air samples back from the lab, because they culture the samples, we should ha- I should have actually been in a full Tyvek suit and full face respirator. Um, because the mould, it wasn't, it was hidden in the wall cavity or in the roof space or in the subfloor. So you don't see it when you're in the house, but it's, of course, it's there. And if you start breaking up the walls, it's actually there. So the key to all forms of mould related problems is moisture because fungi is everywhere and it should be everywhere because it's nature's greatest decomposers. So the key is to make sure that the moisture doesn't sit there for more than 48 hours because after that time, the spores will start germinating and uh, breaking off hyphae and mycotoxins and trying to outcompete one another, the other microbes, in order to take over that space. So the problem with the area you're in, which is the mould capital of Australia, unfortunately. (laughs) They didn't put that in the brochure before we moved here, I'll tell you. No, and the reason why it's worse than far north Queensland is because you it's a warm temperate climate, but it means that be, the air conditioner actually pulls moisture out of your building, which is a good thing. So in very tropical areas, you find they have the air conditioner on 24-7, which pulls the moisture out of the air, and therefore you don't get the humidity levels going above 70%. But as soon as you turn the air conditioning off and the humidity, relative humidity hits 70% or more, then any form of spores anywhere in the house is going to start germinating. And that's the problem in your area is the fact that the humidity levels regularly hit these levels and it means, therefore, any spores in the household dust, anywhere in the surfaces of the house in the air, going to start sporulating and um, taking over because that's what they do. Yeah, right. So it goes on humidity rather than actual air temperature. Yeah, right. Because like sometimes we have like 25, 26 degrees here, but it's really, really high humidity, but it's not that hot. So we just open all the doors and windows up here. That's what everyone does. Yes. And really, as a building biologist, what we do is we measure the um, specific humidity, not relative humidity. Specific humidity looks at the actual water content in the air. And sometimes you'll find that um, the water content inside the house 
uh, can be less than outside. And of course, once you open windows, then you draw it in. So when we're doing mold remediation or testing, we're looking at actual how much water is in the air um, inside versus outside of the house, which is actually more of an important indicator than even relative humidity, which looks at percentages of moisture. So in your areas, the best thing to do is to get a dehumidifier um, in those, you know, ideally a whole house dehumidifier is recommended. Um, if you're renting, then, you know, dehumidifier in each room, particularly the bedrooms or where the moisture content, where you're spending time basically, so your bedrooms are really important and your living space. That is definitely worth doing because it will pull the moisture out, reduce the humidity levels so the chances of developing mould or creating mould is significantly reduced. Yeah, and it's interesting that you should mention the dehumidifier because we have one, but I've seen the the mould uh, conversation going around and around on Facebook sometimes because some of my friends, um, you mentioned renting, some of my mates are renting and they get into a house and then they find out later that it's got mould and they, you know, pop up on Facebook and go, what do I do? And some of my friends would say, you know, oh, go and get a dehumidifier and other friends would say, no, you need to burn these specific essential oils and, um, you know, the in those um, vaporizer type things. And I thought, aren't you just adding more humidity to the house if you're putting them through those? And so is, is there a place for essential oils in removing mold or is that just a bit of good marketing by essential oil companies? A bit of both. I don't recommend essential oils for mould. Clove is the one that's classically used, but the therapeutic dose is very close to the toxic dose. Clove should not be used to remove mould or to address mould. So vaporising any form of humidification is going to make the situation significantly worse. And of course, you know, it's good marketing by these essentials. I mean, I love my aromatherapy and essential oils, but the reality is um, vaporizing them in the house is, is fine as a, you know, antiseptic, et cetera, in that immediate area. But for mold, it's not going to cut it. So you need to look at what's causing the moisture. In Melbourne, for example, it's a cool temperate climate. So the causes of mold here are not likely to be humidity like in your area. They're more likely to be things like a flood or um, after a, a heavy rainstorm if the gutters are clogged and then of course water pools anywhere around the house if it sits there for more than 48 hours bang you've got a problem so what we have different issues like plumbing issues rising damp issues roof guttering issues single pane windows no insulation on south sides that's more of an issue here in melbourne so every climate every microclimate in australia is going to be unique in the development of, of mold but it will always be due to moisture or water sitting around for more than 48 hours that creates the problem yeah, I remember when I lived in Melbourne, we had this one house and we actually nicknamed it later the House of the Rising Damp. It was just horrific and the the uh, the garden bed came right up against the house and we think that there needed to be like a little guttering or a little something between where the soil finished and the house started. But the, the house just seemed to suck up all the damp and then just droplets of water would appear on the walls. It was horrific. We left. We, we left. <laughs> Luckily, we were renting at that stage. We were just like, we're out of here. And look, that that's it because soil holds tons of moisture. There should be water vapour water vapor barriers between the wall of the house and the moisture. And unfortunately, that very rarely happens. Or it does happen and then over decades it degrades and people don't maintain it. But generally having soil butting up against a house like that or building into a hill 
um, such as in Sydney is common. You know, often you have these multi-million dollar homes built into sandstone, granite, etc., and it's just a shocker for moisture because there's water seeping out of the ground down into their house. Oh my God. So <laughs> these are huge problems. And the reality is 24% of the population can't create antibodies to mould. So every time they walk into these water-damaged buildings, it sets up an inflammatory response that doesn't shut down. So what happens then is they, they secrete these inflammatory markers which can over time knock out key neurotransmitters which result in brain fog, poor concentration, poor memory, uh, forgetting words mid-sentence, fatigue like chronic fatigue that persists for more than six months that's not alleviated by rest. If it continues, they'll end up with fibromyalgic symptoms because there's inflammation in the limbs and in the capillaries, which means oxygen isn't getting and the nutrients aren't getting to the um, cells in the muscles. So they end up with these muscular aches and pains, numbness and tingling. And it's all due to systemic inflammation created from mold antibodies. From mold. What happens over a long time with these patients is that because the body tries to clear the antigens and mold and fragments and mycotoxins through the bile, when it gets into the gut, it changes the microbiome and these patients become gluten insensitive. So they're not celiac, but suddenly they become, their diet becomes um, more restrictive because they're finding every time they eat wheat-based products, they're worse. But it's not a genetic problem. It's due to the inflammation created from the biotoxin in mold that is often causing these gluten sensitivities and unfortunately naturopaths treat it as gluten intolerant and get rid of the gluten when in fact the cause of the problem is inflammation created from another source. Yeah or I know as a naturopath when you hear the words brain fog you immediately go you've got candida and then you just rock up with a whole bunch of anti-candida herbs and supplements don't you? Which, is, which will help and reduces the symptoms, but because it never gets to the cause of the patient's problem, they end up on a shopping bag full of stuff for the rest of their life until such time that they move out or address the cause. Yeah. And that was my frustration. I mean, lecturing at university for so many years and going how holistic we are as naturopaths, I thought it was a joke because the environment is completely ignored and yet one in three homes in Australia are water damaged or have some degree of water damage. And we're not addressing this. And this is causing asthma and allergies and it's causing chronic fatigue-like symptoms. It's causing some types of eczemas and, and dermatitis. And we're completely ignoring this because we're not training practitioners to address it. Yeah, and I like how you've mentioned a lot of different health problems, not just the stuff related to the respiratory system because I know a lot of people, they start down the mold journey because they've got a child with asthma or someone's got like chronic bronchitis or sinus or something in, you know, in that sort of respiratory area. But you're mentioning a lot of deeper stuff that I'm sure some people are sitting there nodding their heads going, oh, my God, I had no idea that that could be attributed to mold. Absolutely. Mold is a... It, it can cause infection and it can cause poisoning if it's ingested with, you know, for example, there's been a lot in history where livestock, many livestock have died because of ingesting uh, mycotoxins in their feed. In a house, however, it can cause either the type uh, IgE mediated allergies, which you'll pick up on a RAS test with a doctor. But some people have this inflammatory response, and that's these 24% of the people. I mean, 24% of the population, one in four, it's enormous. And if we have one in three homes water damage, I mean, we have potentially a pandemic 
that natural therapists, acupuncturists, chiropractors, osteopaths, doctors have no idea or have no training in understanding and to recognize this as a potential, one of probably the most common um, instigators of health problems in this country. Yeah, and you mentioned before that that knocks out your neurotransmitters. So we're not just talking about brain fog, are we? We're talking about things like mood stabilization, you know, potentially things like depression and anxiety. Absolutely. It, it affects the hypothalamic pituitary axis. So you're looking at things like vasoactive intestinal polypeptide, you're looking at melanocyte stimulating hormone, you're looking at melatonin. So a key symptom in these patients is inability to sleep. They have these their sleep-wake cycle becomes disturbed, um, which in turn has repercussions for their reproduction, reproduction and menstrual cycle. Um, but particularly, they're having sleep-disturbed sleep, so they're not sleeping well. They start trying to sleep during the day because they're exhausted and completely mucks up the whole cycle. And once somebody doesn't sleep well, everything else suffers. So until you get to the cause of the sleep problem, then, you know, you find that the results are limiting. And that was my frustration as a naturopath and acupuncturist is giving patients bags of stuff, using the acupuncture needles and herbs and vitamins and minerals. And really, they were better on them, 50% improvement maybe, but they never got rid of the symptoms because, of course, I was never getting to the cause of the patient's problem. Yep, and that's the problem I have with stuffing people full of vitamins and herbs and stuff as well is it it's wonderful like I love herbs and I love supplements and and I love watching people get better on them but if it's becoming the same sort of thing as if like as if you were giving a Panadol for a headache like as soon as you stop giving these people the herbs and supplements if that issue comes back then we need to start digging deeper exactly right exactly so are there some kinds of mold that are worse than others because I know up here there's like a big conversation about, oh, if you get the red mould or the orange mould, that's worse than the black mould. No, because what we're starting to realise, it's the chemical stew of biological. So it's not just the fungi and their mycotoxins, it's the bacteria and their endotoxins. In fact, it's likely to be the bacteria in a water-damaged building that triggers that innate immune response in the body. So the scientific literature is starting to move away from its its stachybotrys, which is the black mold that everyone talks about. It's actually likely to be the chemical stew of all of the bacteria and their byproducts, all of the fungi and their byproducts in a water-damaged building, which are there to fight and compete against one another to take over that space, that is likely to create that inflammatory response. So we need to move away from that specific. And look, you look at the research on the microbiome. We're looking for the best bacteria to have in the gut, etc. Well, the reality is it's the diversity of bacteria that's important, not any particular one. And it's the same also in a water damage building. So why aren't doctors talking about this more? They're not trying to, to get to the cause of the problem. Natural therapists, you know, with diet, um, we're great at diet, nutrition, but we ignore air quality. We ignore electromagnetic fields. We ignore uh, environmental causes of illness, even though the environment, um, the genetics pulls, you know, loads the gun and the environment uh, pulls the trigger. We've missed an entire important piece of the entire pie uh, of causes of disease. And maybe it's because when you get to the cause of the disease, it doesn't provide dividends for shareholders for companies that sell products that, you know, treat symptoms. 
<laughs> oh, there's a rabbit hole we could go down, but we'll 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 just step over it for today. Hey, <laughs> love that rabbit hole, uh, Nicole. How do we test our homes for mold? There are many ways to do that. We spend a year teaching building biologists on how to do this. So the most important thing they do is we train the building biologists to be the tool. So we educate them to look, to know what to look for when they're walking around a building to identify potential sources of moisture. We get them to learn how to use complicated instruments that that measure both relative and specific humidity. We use moisture meters to actually map where the moisture is and to quantify the moisture in various building materials uh, in the home. So we use thermal cameras to identify potential moisture or temperature differences, which could reflect moisture changes. Um, We then moisture map it. And then we look at the patient's symptoms to determine what potentially could be causing these symptoms. And look, the reality is the symptoms of mould are identical to electromagnetic hypersensitivity. So you need to be able to go in and go, okay, here's the client may think it's mould and it could be, but they're sleeping with the router within a metre of their head, a digital clock radio, electric blanket and the metre panel on the other side of the wall of their head and they're not sleeping. So bingo, (laughs) that's obvious. And I think this is the issue is that, you know, once I started to walk into my patients' homes, I'm going, oh, my God, it's so obvious what's causing their problem. How did we miss this? How did we not train naturopaths to address this? And simply because we don't walk into their homes. Look, last year I took my building biology group. Uh, they have to do field training as part of their training. And we walked into a house and this child has allergies and we're in their bed in this child's bedroom and there's an aviary that takes up 20% of the floor space, an aviary with birds in it, in the child's room. Oh, my God. <laughs> And there's a cat on its bed and you can see all the cat hair and the mattress is over 10 years old and the pillows are over 30 years old. And you go, of course the child has allergies. It's so obvious. But how many practitioners have they seen that completely missed the cause? Yeah, so how do we – do you create – you know, for, for clients, do you create like a checklist that they can go into with their house or, you know, to walk around and go, okay, how old are your pillows? How old's your mattress? Is there X, Y, and Z in the house? Yes. So that's in my book, Healthy Home, Healthy Family. It's sold out at the moment, but I'm writing the third edition, which will be out around March, April next year. So I had checklists to assess your own home. Um, if you're finding that you do see visible mold and you have those symptoms, then obviously getting a building biologist to assess it would be really important. I'm actually doing my PhD on developing a tool or an app that patients can use to assess health hazards in the house um, and map them to symptoms and also to where they live, so proximity to traffic-related air pollutants, flight paths, high-voltage transmission lines, mining industry, uh, all of those sort of things. So really exciting. We'll need some funding to help me out. <laughs> but uh, it will be a really great way to empower clients to take um you know, to actually start looking at causes of ill health. Yeah, an app would be amazing. That would be so cool. So let's assume there's a mould problem in the home. How do we fix it? Okay, so the first thing we have to do is get to the source. Where is the moisture coming from? Because if you don't address that, anything else you do will be a waste of time. Once you identify the source, so for example in Melbourne it might be a guttering issue, then you fix it. Then you, the, the building biologist, depending on how bad the problem is, if the clients have these 
uh, inflammatory symptoms that I mentioned before, brain fog, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, etc., then definitely you'll need to, want to get a building biologist in to determine the extent of the moisture issue. You want to know how many building materials are affected, furnishings, contents, if it's any secondary damage, because what can happen is if the mold problem has been going on long enough and it releases spores and, and fragments and mycotoxins, then it can sit on all of these other surfaces in the house, like furnishings, foam furnishings and carpets and things like that. So what we may need to do is do a sample of the carpet dust, send it to a lab in the States, and that will give us an idea of all the types of fungi sitting in the carpet and it's how healthy or not that carpet dust is versus the healthy homes that's, you know, for that particular test. It's called the ERMI test. And it's very useful because it gives us an idea of how healthy your house is versus other thousands of other types of homes. And that's often the clincher in terms of how toxic or not the house is. Um, but then we need to determine the moisture, where it is, the extent of the moisture problem. If, for example, it might be in the shower, look, you often find showers going to have some the older the shower is, you're going to have some visible mould in the grout, etc. That may not necessarily be a health problem at all because it's just simply that moisture sitting there for more than 48 hours and then, of course, the fungi that's already sitting there are going to take over. So the key there is to just wipe down the shower with a microfiber cloth after you shower and that will stop that happening. Once it gets behind the silicon, of course, you have to remove the silicon because you can't get it out. But in the grout, it's just a matter of using... Um, something like, um, well, ironically, we've just launched our mould spray through the Abode product range, which which I manufacture, and that will has a bit of hydrogen peroxide, so it actually will get rid of um, the look of the mould and, of course, you know where the moisture is, so that's not a problem. So really it's getting to the source of the moisture and then determining if you've got these symptoms, getting a building biologist to do a moisture map of the house with thermal cameras and moisture meters and determining what's affected and therefore whether if it's soft furnishings and it's more than 48 hours, you would remove them and get rid of them, discard them. If not, then you can just, you know, get a HEPA vacuum cleaner and a microfiber cloth and that's more than sufficient to get rid of it. If it's just a small amount of mould on, on a plasterboard, for example, and it hasn't gone inside the wall cavity, then it's just a matter of getting um, wiping it with a microfiber cloth. If the hyphae have gone into the gyprock or the plaster, then you might need a little bit of peroxide in order to, to get rid of the um, the look of the mould there. But obviously, if you do that, you need to make sure you wear a adequate respirator to not breathe in those vapours. Bleach, of course, should be avoided, but apart from that, yeah. Yeah, why, why shouldn't we use bleach? Bleach basically provides a food source for mould. So a lot of the fungi use it as a food source. So what bleach does is it strips out the melanin so you can't see it. But because you didn't actually kill it, what you're doing is you're creating food source so that within two weeks when the melanin comes back into the mould, it actually proliferates even more. So the beauty with peroxide, hydrogen peroxide, is that it actually it gets rid of the melanin like bleach does, but because it breaks down into carbon dioxide and water, it doesn't leave anything for the for the mould to, to use as food, unlike bleach, uh-huh. which is sodium hypochlorite. So that's the, the only time you use something like hydrogen peroxide is if it's actually stained the wall, so to speak, and you want to get rid of the stain. But killing mould is irrelevant because... 75% of spores can't germinate because they're dead. But if you have mold growth happening, what happens is that the level of hyphae fragments and mycotoxins that you inhale could still be a health hazard. So even dead spores can be a health hazard. 
So the focus of mould remediation is not on killing the mould because 75% of it's dead anyway. It's actually getting rid of the, the moisture source first and then removing and reducing the levels of, of the mould and the bacteria, etc. in the water damage building by using microfiber cloths and HEPA vacuum cleaners. Yeah, and the old, you know, the old standard that everyone tells you about using a bit of baking soda, vinegar and clove oil, it sounds like that's getting thrown no. out the window too. Oh, absolutely. Baking baking soda really is not a useful cleaning agent at all. It's very alkaline. Um, all it does is it cr- creates a bit of an abrasive, but, char- but chalk would be a better option actually as an abrasive. If you want to go really natural, just a, li- a microfiber cloth with a little bit of um, calcium carbonate or chalk uh, as a paste with a little bit of detergent would be a good way to, you know, as a scrub for um, getting rid of things in the shower, for example, if you want a little bit of, um, you know, or the oven, you know, if it's not too too dirty, you could use that. So a bit of um, chalk with a uh, dishwashing liquid on a microfiber cloth. But bicarb soda, you know, it's useless. It really doesn't do much. It's very alkaline, so it shouldn't be used in bathrooms because, Bathrooms, you want an acid environment because bacteria uh, thrive in alkaline. So bicarb soda in bathrooms, really not recommended. And in the kitchen, you're much better off using microfiber cloths again and a bit of, um, uh, again, you want something a little bit more alkaline in the kitchen. That's where bicarb soda, if you're going to use it, a bit more in the kitchen tends to be useful because it will help to, um, with a bit of dishwashing liquid, help to, uh, do, you know, break down fats. That's why, you know, in our range, we manufacture, my husband and I manufacture cleaning products for people with chemical and skin sensitivities called Abode, and it's available only in health food stores. Number one product in health food, cleaning product in health food stores across Australia now. Yeah, and I think and, that was the product that Cindy O'Meara mentioned in our, uh, in episode 20. Yeah, great. <laughs> so we sold our house to create this brand, and I, I tell you, I don't think I would have done it again. I didn't realise how hard it was to manufacture anything in this country you know, packet. I mean, there's a whole book in that in itself. Um, but you know, I, I think it's satisfying watching, looking at how what to do in terms of cleaning. Microfiber cloths will do most of it. That's the irony. So you know, that's what clients and particularly parents with young children should be focusing on microfiber cloths and really minimising the amount of cleaning products they use altogether. Um, in order to reduce the chemical load. But there are some things that you need, like dishwashing liquid, of course. You want um, the surface sprays that will that uh, that act like soap that saponify the fat as opposed to bathroom cleaners where they're going to be more acidic to help reduce bacterial load. With microbiome, you want to reduce the bacteria, you want to reduce the load, but you never want to kill it off or change it chemically or, or mutate it with things like bleach because then you create pathogenic uh, microbes which could be more harmful. <laughs> so much to think about. It's like you've done so much research so that we don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit like that. And it wasn't really intentional either. I just thought, you know what, no one deserves to go through 10 miscarriages. There has to be a cause. And for every illness, there is always a reason why. We may not have the science or the technology to pick up what's causing it at the time, but there is always a reason why people are sick. And I think now we understand that genetics, as again, genetics loads the gun in the environment, whether it's the diet, the lifestyle, chemicals, electromagnetic fields, or mold or biotoxins, will pull the trigger. So we're coming into an exciting time because the genome will enable us to look at how people are susceptible to these things and then create environments that are specifically adapted to their genotype. 
But in the end, you know, for all of us, it's going to be about reducing load, reducing chemical load. Uh, there's over 120 million chemicals now registered for, on the world's largest database, the Chemical Abstract Service, and every 60 seconds another 20 chemicals are registered. So there's a whole new topic. That's what I'm doing my PhD on. <laughs> it's on right. You might want to talk about another time. Well, just a bit of light reading you've been doing there, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, I've got three man. kids and, you know, it just gets my back that industry isn't required. The burden of proof is not on industry to prove that any of these chemicals are safe. So virtually what you find on the supermarket shelf, um, 80 to 90% of it has never been tested. So what do I use on my skin? Nothing. I just use your jojoba oil, cedar nut oils, macadamia nut oil, um, you know, maybe a couple of times a week. That's it. I don't use moisturizers. I don't use deodorants. I use virtually nothing because I don't trust anything with what's in it now because many of these contain hormone disrupting chemicals that are now linked with breast cancer, attention deficit, hyperactivity disorders, um, uh, childhood obesity. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. Wow. Now, I know that some of my lovely listeners out there, they want to know all the information, but then they start to feel a little bit overwhelmed. So if someone's out there and they need to switch products over one by one, where should they start? I mean, assuming that they're not going to go out and just drop a couple of hundred dollars on changing everything at once. Say if they just want to start switching out products when they run out, would you say that they should start in the kitchen, the laundry or the bathroom? Well, I'd say just get a really good set of microfiber cloths for a start. That will help you. You can dust the home simply with a slightly wet microfiber cloth followed by a clean tea towel. That will do that. If you reduce the dust load in the home, that's where most of these chemicals and biotoxins are. So getting a really good vacuum cleaner, and on my website I have a video on my top 10 vacuum cleaners, healthy vacuum cleaners, um, that will reduce the dust load. If you do that, your house and you open up your house in terms of air it by opening windows regularly, providing you're not within 200 metres of high traffic, then, you know, that's going to be a healthy home. So you can start that straight away. Microfiber cloths, we sell ours $20 for three. I mean, they're not expensive and they'll last for years and they'll do most of your cleaning. Air your house, take your shoes up before you enter the home. Um, and really reduce the number of chemicals you need. Get rid of perfume and air fresheners. They are incredibly toxic. Don't use chemical pesticides for fly spray, all of those sort of things. Um, eventually get a filter for your drinking water um, because there's a lot of contaminants in that that can affect the microbiome. Um, store things in glass and stainless steel, etc. I mean, there's some simple things you can do. And use the sun as your cleaning agent. You know, get your pillows and your... Um, uh, dunas, etc., out in hot air as, soon, as often as you can, at least every season, uh, in order to reduce the house dust mite levels and the dust load. Simple things like that can go a really long way, and they're not expensive. Yeah, that's really good advice. So it doesn't have to be expensive, and there's definitely little steps you can take along the way, isn't there? Yeah, and look, the thing is, I think people go oh, if it's a product market as natural. Natural is a term that's a really bad term because anything derived from the earth is natural and that includes heavy metals, uranium, asbestos, oil and of course all plastics are derived from oil, most of them. So, you know, don't look through the, the marketing BS, start reading everything, try and get onto the scientific databases like PubMed, which is freely available, to actually start looking at good quality content. Don't believe what you see on TV, especially with advertising and marketing. I've trained my kids every time they see an ad to go, okay, 
kids, what are they trying to sell you? And is that <laughs> let's compare it to PubMed and go, what's actually going on? And to see the world with critical eyes is really important, especially children, because nowadays, unlike my days, it's not about getting good quality content with your Encyclopedia Britannica. It's about information overload. So being able to critique that is really important for the next generation. And I think as parents, we have an obligation to do this. And I think it's the parents that a lot of the marketing really preys upon, isn't it? Like, you know, you if you don't spray this antibacterial spray over your whole house to kill 99% of all germs, then you're, a, you know, you're not a responsible mother. Like, you you know, if you want the best for your kids and then they, then they tell you the products that you need. And it really... A lot of that uh, advertising is so emotive. It's it almost guilts people into buying those products. And the irony is, using antibacterial products like triclosan is not only a hormone disrupting chemical that targets the thyroid. It has been linked to childhood disorders. It's referred to as the hygiene hypothesis. The more you try and chemically clean your home with chemicals like bleach and ammonia, etc the worse the outcome, the higher the incidence of allergies. So, in fact, it's opposite. These chemicals marketed to women for beauty, for anti-wrinkling, for, um, you know, smelling nice and perfumes, in fact, they are loaded with chemicals that are increasing the risk of breast cancer, robbing women of their breasts and their fertility. It's actually the opposite because the burden of proof isn't on these industries to prove they're safe. In fact, they hide under trade secrecy laws. So you don't know the 400-odd petrochemicals in your perfume you bought from a department store for $200, which is worth $3 to make from petrochemicals, and loaded with phthalates that are likely to increase your risk of breast cancer, infertility, uh, reproductive disorders, and, of course, carry that through the placenta during pregnancy. So we need to... Gone are the days where we go, okay, give me six months at a naturopath to prepare me to have kids. It now starts with your grandparents. We need the more you expose yourself to these chemicals through smoking and perfumes, etc., the more it sits in your fat tissue and the more it comes through the placenta during pregnancy and in particularly breast milk is the most useful biomarker that we have to assess how toxic our environment has become according to the World Health Organization. So you know we're in trouble as a species when breast milk is the most useful biomarker to assess chemical load. That's just horrifying. It really is. It really is. And, um, yeah, I just it, – it, I actually read – it was only a couple of days ago that I read something about how there's a, a new study that's come out to show that certain endocrine-disrupting chemicals are uh, – they're not able to be detoxed in our lifetime and I was like whoa that's just overwhelming yes and that's the problem I think you know you look at the researchers in Denmark who are at the forefront of these endocrine something chemicals and that and they've stated the most effective way for a woman to detox is to get pregnant pass it to her young to a fetus and breastfeed that's the most effective way to detox so the, my whole point is, and unfortunately it's depressing, but women need to know they need to stop putting chemicals on their skin, and I'm talking about moisturisers and things like that, that are potentially loaded with parabens and phthalates and benzophenone 3. Um, they need to start going back to basics, like for sunscreen, all I use is zinc, a zinc-based sunscreen. I don't use any of these other types of sunscreen on me and all the kids. Um, you know, I want them out in the sun early morning, late afternoon. You know, the vitamin D ep deficiency epidemic is just ridiculous because it's because we've gone the other way. 
We've got this issue of chemicals in our homes that have now, you know, causing all of these symptoms and neurobehavioural disorders in children, which is now pandemic. I mean, 11% of the world's children suffer from attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, 7.2% suffer from autistic spectral disorders. Um, in fact, you know, up to one in 45 in the US, one in 100 in Australia. I mean, it's just it's just a pandemic and it's happened in the last 30 years when we changed farming practices, introduced pesticides into food. So that's a really effective way to reduce load is to go organic for things like berries and apples and pears, which are high in their load of pesticides, and to just use less. I mean, you know, it's not rocket science. And on my website, there's a lot of really good tips, 10 tips to a healthy home that you don't have to buy anything to, to achieve that. Um, there's lots of videos on there of the media that I've done on everything from allergens to electromagnetic fields and, and chemicals and mould. And most of my um, uh, medical conferences videos are also on there. So people really want to get into the detail of why things like mould and EMFs and chemicals are an issue, then they can they can look at it there and get up to date with the latest research on it. Great. And do you also have information on your website about where people could find a professional to help them? Yes. So to find a building biologist, to the link to the building biology one. So my website is buildingbiology.com.au and the link to the building biologist, because I don't do any more auditing for building biology because I run the college, is the college website, which is aces.edu.au and there you'll also find training in feng shui and building biology yeah yeah beautiful um that's that's awesome i'm so glad that i got you on the show this has been such an eye-opener it really 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 has nicole thank you so much for coming on the show today because this is stuff that like even i'm sitting here just taking notes and i'm sure everyone out there is sitting there taking notes there's so much to learn and it's really put a little spark in me so I hope it's put a spark in some of you out there as well who are listening in just start taking some small steps today get onto Nicole's website have a look around pick a few things that you can change right away and let's get started and let's get this information out to everyone so please share this podcast as well thanks so much Jules thank you Nicole see you later bye Oh my God, is your mind blown? My mind is totally blown. I did not know that about baking soda. I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. I hope you found it very valuable. I certainly did. I learned so much. And please stick around and hit subscribe because if you like what you heard today, there's plenty, plenty more good stuff coming your way. Now, there's a couple of freebies on my website that I just want to tell you about. If you head down to julesgalloway.com, then if you scroll down the right-hand side, you'll see a couple of things there that you can grab. One is a free whole food recipe mini ebook. It's got some yummy gluten, dairy, and sugar-free recipes in there. Or if you are worried about adrenal fatigue, there's also a little guide there called the Little Guide to Healing Your Adrenals. It's free. It's on the right-hand side. You can download it straight away and get started making yourself shinier and healthier. Have a beautiful week. Looking forward to seeing you again next week. Stay shiny and bye for now. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.
Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.